Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. So glad you could join us for another episode of Ashto's ETAP Podcast. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. The interstate highway system's impact goes beyond cost and nationwide connectivity. These infrastructure projects' influence on cities had devastating and long-lasting effects on black and brown communities. The Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956 produced 41,000 miles of highway, connecting the wealthy to the suburbs and high-paying jobs in the city. Yet, lower-income minority and immigrant communities lost their homes, green spaces, and places of worship to make way for these projects, displacing millions of people nationwide. Today's Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act, the IIJA, ushered in the first-of-its-kind federal program designed to reconnect communities. The U.S. Department of Transportation works to provide grant opportunities to state DOTs and numerous public and private partners to reestablish neighborhoods across the country. In today's episode, we'll learn about Rondo, a neighborhood in St. Paul, Minnesota, that was once a predominantly African-American neighborhood that flourished in culture and prosperity. Keith Baker, executive director of the nonprofit Reconnect Rondo, is here to shine a spotlight on how to successfully reconnect communities through an equity lens. This is the first episode of a four-part series that will focus on equity in the transportation space and how state DOTs and stakeholders may shape their communities. Keith, welcome to Ashto's ETAP podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. I touched briefly in the introduction about the history of the neighborhood of Rondo. For those who are unfamiliar with the neighborhood and its history, why don't you tell us a bit about Rondo, its history, what happened to it, and what it is now? I think it's such an important, you know, first question, you know, in that Rondo was a vibrant, uh, emerging middle-class African-American community in St. Paul, Minnesota. It's where 80% of the African-American community lived, uh, and it's also where the community had a sense of social, economic, uh, civic, spiritual life. Many may know in 1956, certainly, that was all devastated by the emergence of the Federal Highway Act and had a devastating uh, impact because it went right through what is known as Rondo Ave. And Rondo Ave was the main business corridor for the community of Rondo. And it took that out along with about 700 homes. Again, the number of businesses is something like 300. So it just left it in a shamble, as I know, has taken place all over the country. Now, you're the executive director, as I mentioned, of Reconnect Rondo. Tell me about the organization. What do you do? When were you formed? What, what are your goals? The beautiful thing about Reconnect Rondo is there was almost like a baton handed to it. It was founded ultimately more uh, formally in 2017. But the idea of what we are pushing forward here with creating an African-American cultural enterprise district connected by a land bridge really came forward in 2009. Uh, there was a central light rail corridor coming through where light rail was being planned and there were no stops planned in Rondo. And without stops planned in Rondo, it felt very reminiscent of the 1950s of decisions being made and lack of consideration. And so 
from that particular point, it gained some momentum within the community. Finally, through some advocacy, the community ended up having stops and other kinds of mitigation activities take place. But really, when it was all said and done, not only those stops took place, but I think uh, it presented an opportunity for healing. The mayor, former mayor, uh, had apologized for the destruction of Rondo as a result of the city's participation. The uh, Commissioner of Transportation at the time had apologized, and this is about 2015. So 2009, the idea came forward. The apology in 2015, the emergence of reconnecting Rondo, picking up the baton around this idea of a cap or land bridge. And here we are, reconnect Rondo uh, a few years later with my uh, taking on the leadership in 2019. A lot of what's going on with Reconnect Rondo is about equity, historic equity of what happened back in the 1950s and 60s and what's happening today in the 2000s. Tell me a bit about how you define an equitable project, particularly this one as it affects Rondo. We hear the term equity, it's used in a wide range of ways. What we've done is been very clear to make a technical case, a business case, a moral case, and a just case. And it requires us to quantify a whole host of things. And so part of our past prosperity study that we engaged in did two things, really set forward conditions of how to deal with inequity but first, we needed to understand the current condition and the result of the freeway. Historically, what is the scorecard of Rondo today? And one of the things that we determined is by 18 different measures or indicators, Rondo ranks net negative. So getting back to the question of equity, everyone understands the idea of building equity. Mm-hmm. And so when we start at our baseline of that scorecard, and this is about financial security, housing security, education security, uh, heat effect, uh, a wide range of, of indicators, we say it is our focus and aim to build equity in each of those measures. So it's actualizing the building of equity. And that's how we look at it. This land bridge that's going to reconnect Rondo, just to make sure that everyone understands. Is this a proposal? Is it definite? Where does this stand in terms of this being built? Those of us in transportation know it takes a while sometimes (laughs) for a project to emerge. So we already know that it's quite a journey and there are a lot of stakeholders that are at the table. I would say we've set forward what we believe as a community-driven project what our timetable is. And I just really think it's gonna be important for me to distinguish this. Our Department of Transportation, MnDOT, is responsible for the entire corridor from St. Paul to Minneapolis. What Reconnect Rondo has done is taken a section of this corridor and taken leadership of that section of the corridor in terms of all of the processes that are associated with project development. And so with that, we're obligated to the same expectations in terms of NEPA, environmental uh, activities, community engagement, et cetera, that a DOT would be. Now, having taken on the responsibility, what we've set forward is a timetable that really, really got kicked off in 2021. And when it got kicked off in 2021, that was when the legislature appropriated $6.2 million to reconnect Rondo for it to do its pre-development work. 
And so that for the last two years, we've been doing the pre-development work, which includes this idea of a comprehensive neighborhood plan that's associated with the land bridge. To get more specifically to your question, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we think that we would imagine, knowing that we have to coordinate with our jurisdictions and MnDOT itself, we would imagine sometime between 2027, 2030, we can ignite more of the construction side of the project with design, perhaps really, uh, beginning 24, 26. How do you see this project, this land bridge, once it's built, affecting not only the neighborhood, but the city of St. Paul as a whole? I think it's important for me to also make this distinction for just a moment, that while the aim and the concentration is on the land bridge, the land bridge is the tool mm -hmm. <laughs> for community building, right? And it can be a catalytic mechanism that also has broader benefits. And so we do see that not only our project being a community-led project, being very significant and important, working with each of the jurisdictions, city, county, and our planning organization, as well as DOT. But we also see that when we think about restorative development and the building of equity, when we look at the comp plan for the city or the county's economic competitiveness plan, or even our planning organization's 2040-2050 plan, we see this project as actualizing those policies, actualizing those strategies. So while it's focused in on a land bridge per se as a transportation element, it is intended to kind of realize a broader array of community benefits, I think, for the city of St. Paul, and I would argue the state of Minnesota. You talk about this being a community-led project. One of the ways that's happening is with the Rondo Roundtable. Explain to me, what is the Rondo Roundtable and the strategies that you've implemented to engage the community and the various different stakeholders that are involved in different facets of the community to work on this project? This is probably the most exciting work, but it's also the most challenging work because we're dealing with people and we're dealing with lived experiences, right? So the Rondo Roundtable is a collection of uh, 14 organizations and businesses that really are the historic organizations in the community of Rondo, some preceding 1956 and the destruction uh, that was caused by the freeway. We believe very strongly that Part of this project has got to lead forward with amplifying the ecosystem, amplifying those that are already responding and have been responding to the community for quite some time, and then trying to figure out how to leverage and resource the community. So the Rondo Roundtable is a collection of organizations that are historically led by African-Americans who have been in the community for quite some time. They work on matters of housing, business incubation, issues around education, et cetera. Thinking about those indicators I talked about a little bit earlier, they're already trying in some form or fashion responding to it. So it's Rondo Community Land Trust, just as an example, Hallie Q. Brown Community Center, as well as Golden Times, which is a gathering coffee shop that's been around for a long time in the area as well. So their significance is really about being our checks and balances, our accountability as we go through this planning process, but also being the reach into the community as well as we go through our planning processes. And we've had some really, really exciting engagement. On average, we have 150 people from the community participating in our community engagement activity. 
they have begun to own it. So the Rondo Roundtable represents the institutions in our community and the community members themselves have elevated to take ownership in the process. And ultimately we see the community as the master planner, if you will, or comprehensive planner and the developer of the project when it's all said and done. How has that community involvement changed the project from the initial concepts that we're being thrown around to, to where we are today. I, I know we're still in that pre-design phase, but how has that community involvement shaped this project? Well, one of the things that's unique, as I had mentioned to you, the idea emerged in 2009. So many of the folks that put forward this idea of a cap and a land bridge and an articulation of their lived experience through the construction are in fact our board members. <laughs> So we've always been about community engagement. We've always led from a community perspective. I think what's unique is the opportunity for people to share their stories, to share their aspirations. And we really hone in on those shared experiences and shared aspirations. We've put together a technical team and we look at the technical team as a box of crayons. Okay. And we look at the community as folks who are controlling that box of crayons by articulating what their aspirations are. So we've really ensured that the community recognizes it controls the crayons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And I think initially it was hard for the community to get its head around it because they're accustomed to being done too. In this instance, right? They're actually leading our technical team and our technical team is accountable to return back to them to say, are we expressing what it is that you're looking for? And the other thing that I think is pretty unique that I think has been embraced by the community as well is that they recognize myself as someone who's lived in St. Paul and around the Twin Cities for a long time and others that we have on our team who they can personally point to. In fact, one of our engineering firms his family is from Rondo. So oh. there is a trusted element here that we've built and have been intentional about building to make sure that folks know when we return back to them, the intent is always to reflect what it is that they have in mind. Keith, you mentioned how the Minnesota legislature has allocated some money for the project, but Rondo was also one of 45 projects that USDOT had recently set aside money for. How is that addition of the federal funding going to be applied to the project? Is that going to be different from how the state money is going to be used? No, I think what it does is it ultimately augments. It's going to take us about 13 to 15 million to get through this entire planning process to the edge of design, right? The legislature uh, allowed an appropriation for 6.2 million, which gets us into three areas, restorative development, uh, gets us into that comprehensive master or neighborhood planning. It gets us to a deeper level of community engagement and also what we uh, put out there as anti-displacement and community investment strategies. But it also points to NEPA. It points to getting us through that environmental process. And so the $2 million that we were successful in getting related to the Reconnecting Communities pilot is going to help us ignite the environmental portion of the work so that we can continue to move progress forward. And we anticipate that uh, we'll be pursuing, again, another grant to complete that side of the environmental work. So the legislature and the Reconnecting Community Resources allows us to continue moving forward on the pre-planning, which also includes some of the uh, work associated with the environmental NEPA process. This 
pre-work that has been funded already, or at least partially funded already, is only a, a small portion of what the overall projected costs are going to be. I know one of the numbers that's been thrown around is over $450 million. Now, Reconnect Rondo has an innovative, multifaceted funding approach that hopefully will ensure funds are appropriately allocated for the long term. Obviously, you don't want to run out of funds halfway through doing the project. Tell us about that 4P funding and that development model, if you would, please. This is perhaps something that I personally have paid a, a great degree of attention to. I incubated the idea as early as 2013 before I was even associated with the <laughs> Reconnect Rondo because I saw how public-private partnerships work, but also, you know, with public-private partnerships using public tools and public resources for private development. Mm-hmm. And I began to think about that it's a validated model, whether people appreciate that it is being used for investment in stadiums, just as an example, right? And and for me, I thought there was also a missing piece, and that's philanthropy, and then the ability of individuals <laughs> to participate and own in their own neighborhood. So I took those business models and I transferred them into this idea of how we can finance and build community. Public, private, philanthropic, and people is the 4P model. And we went through a process with the Urban Land Institute and a few bankers and finance people, community members who do community development work, and so on. And we established a report that gave us some recommendations on how to move forward with this. So getting to the 400 million amount that you had previously mentioned. Well, we know the bipartisan infrastructure bill has been passed. And we know that 80% of construction or a development of a project can be paid for using that infrastructure bill. What we're doing is we're separating the development of the structure which our number is about 392 million. 80% is what we imagine can be paid using the federal money. State investment on the structure would be roughly 100 million, okay? Which would get us the structure. Then it's the development on top. And the 4P model is designed to really harness the development on top. And it is the vehicle that the community use as the master planner and developer, similar to any development that would happen that private developers kind of drive. But in this instance, the community is the developer through that financing model. That development that you potentially foresee happening on top of this land bridge, is that something that will provide a ongoing source of income? Because once it's built, that's great, but maintenance obviously is something that has to be a concern for the foreseeable future. Is is that something that's going to help fund that maintenance of this uh, project? Yeah, you know, Clyde Warren Bridge in Dallas, Texas is a good example. The structure is maintained by the DOT. The activities on top and the maintenance on top is handled by a private foundation. And at this particular point, they have programming on this newly created 5.2 acres on top. So if we transfer that, you know, same idea onto the land bridge in the Twin Cities or in St. Paul, What we see through our anti-displacement study and the recommendations that have emerged there are two things that are very, very key. A community reinvestment fund and a enterprise trust. 
using those two tools, the question is, is how much revenue can be generated on this newly created space? If we're talking about housing, if we're talking about business incubation space or business development space, if we're talking about an energy center or a green economy, if we're talking about an arts and cultural district, if you will, the question is how much revenue can it be generated as the community being the master planner and developer? We've done the studies on that and we believe there's a way in which revenue can be generated in order to address the development maintenance costs on top while the DOT takes the responsibility similar to the model that was uh, in Dallas, Texas for the structure. So that's how we see the operating relationship forming and proceeding. But we're still a, a ways away to, to finalize it because there's a lot of work ahead. Keith, unfortunately, what happened in Rondo was not unique to Rondo. This happened in communities across the country. For those neighborhoods that maybe are looking to Rondo in terms of what you've already learned, what you've already accomplished, what are some of the things that you would share with them in terms of things that they should probably consider as they look to their unique situations in their neighborhoods? We've been fortunate enough to have a sense of the ecosystem and what needs to be navigated. And you're right, a lot of communities, 950 across the country have been so devastated. What I often say is there are systems, processes, tools, and resources that are out there that are really virtually invisible to communities. Or if they are seeing them, they're seeing them in a reactive way rather than a proactive way. So part of what we've done is we've gotten ahead of the way planning works, ahead of the way decision-making works, and implants a community in advance in this instance of what's going to be determined on I-94, rethinking I-94 that MnDOT is responsible for. So that being critical. The other thing that I think is important, and people talk about community engagement and authentic community engagement and this whole idea of healing and trust building, it's hard to get to possibility thinking without going through this process of healing uh, and trust building. And some of that that we've done as early as 2015 you know, with a formal apology from the institutions mm -hmm. that have so impacted communities when it was all said and done. So I think these are really, really critical elements in terms of establishing foundation. But from a real practical project development standpoint, one of the things that we did is we brought experts around the table early as volunteers, people from private sector, people from public sector, people from jurisdictional functional roles. And we began to have conversations with them from the beginning, again, in anticipation, because that's the expertise about the systems, processes, tools, and resources that are at play. I just happen to have worked 18 years for the Department of Transportation. So I just happen to be one of those <laughs> folks who understands how they function. But I wasn't alone in the ecosystem. So introducing the community to this kind of expertise also was helpful. And so having a volunteer group of folks imagining this with us was also important. I don't want to speak any further about the project without acknowledging City of St. Paul's mayor's fourth generation Rondo. A lot of folks that are heavy lifters around policy matters, et cetera, are descendants of Rondo, those that are in our business sector, those that are in our government sector. And so 
we've got a great partnership with the city of St. Paul. So fostering those things become very critical. We've got a great relationship with our planning organization, a great relationship with our county and a solid relationship with the Department of Transportation. And really being open to some conversations, some tough conversations are really important. And I think we're at a moment in time where certainly I feel, at least in St. Paul, that it exists. And I really anticipate there's a lot of interest in trying to figure out how do you address this idea of equity? How do you leverage a transportation element? And how do you do community building when it's all said and done is something that are very important questions to be answered. Something that's on the immediate horizon is in October, Reconnect Rondo is going to be leading a summit in St. Paul. Tell us a bit about that event and how individuals who might be interested can get involved. Well, we know that there were 500 applicants plus applicants for the Reconnecting Communities grant. There's certainly was a limitation of the resources that were made available, uh, only a billion rather than I think the aspiration of 10 billion for Reconnecting Communities when it was said and done. But what we know, there were 46 successful communities, Reconnect Rondo being one. And so it's an invitation to those 46 to come and have a conversation about not only their projects, but also to talk about their histories, their stories, so that we can connect ourselves commonly around stories. There was also a 20, 24 submitters of applications that weren't successful. So right there, we have a collection of about 75 individuals that we're inviting along with others. Actually, it's about 150 that we're inviting to St. Paul, all in pursuit of reconnecting communities, whether it's the planning grant or the capital grant or the technical assistance that Reconnecting Communities pilot project puts forward. We're inviting them to Minnesota to talk and share and ultimately to think about the planning. How can we help one another? Reconnect Rondo has been successful on a lot of fronts. Do we have something to share? Other communities have had some successes also. Do they have something to share? There are those that are struggling to figure out what to do. Do we retrofit? Do we use it as an asset? Do we remove? There are a wide range of questions being raised right now that I think by bringing people together, organizations, community organizations, as well as jurisdictions, we can have some really important policy discussions we can have some really important funding discussions. We can have some very, very important brainstorming and possibility thinking opportunities at this. And we're excited to have certainly uh, a number of partners with us to kind of have this kind of launch and kickstart. Well, we've been chatting on this episode of Ashto's ETAP podcast with Keith Baker. He's the executive director of Reconnect Rondo. Keith, thanks so much for taking the time out to chat with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation, Bernie.